asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions. Yes, Joel. Listener questions, man. This is a new favorite episode that we do. We've got some fun ones coming up this episode. We're answering a question about Fundrise, uh, some online real estate investing. We have one about home warranties, as well as paying off debts that are in collections, plus a couple of other fun ones that I'm excited to get to. Yeah, this is going to be fun. We've got some great questions lined up. And I think a lot of these that are on probably a lot of our listeners' minds. So it should be cool. Matt, first, I wanted to take a second and just celebrate... Dude, this is episode 100. Woo! <laughs> yeah, man. Cue the balloons and the confetti and stuff like that. <laughs> confetti cannons. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, I am kind of blown away that we've... I mean, we set out to do this, right? And, and our goal was to always be like, let's make sure we're doing this well enough. But at the very beginning, I don't think either of us had huge aspirations for it. We knew that this is something that would be fun, that we both enjoy doing. But to see that it's gotten this far, man, we're up to triple digits. You can't beat that. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess you can if you go to like quadruple digits. That's going to be a while. That, that, yeah, that'll be... <laughs> Get our sights set that far yeah. ahead, maybe one of these days. But yeah, man, it's really exciting to, to think that we've produced, that we've put out 100 episodes. For me, it's been really fun. It's been really fun to yeah. get to to create this with my best buddy. At the same time, it's been really fun to, to get to know some of the listeners, to read the emails. The Facebook group has been just really exciting to see people 
asking questions, answering each other's questions. It's been this really cool kind of community vibe. And you know what? A hundred episodes deep, I feel like we're still kind of tapping the surface. Figuring stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Of like what this can be and what we yes. can create here with a group of like-minded listeners that really care about these topics. So I'm just really excited for the next hundred to see kind of yeah. where that leads. But I also just wanted to take a moment and celebrate and be like, boom, we're there. We've done a hundred. Yeah. It's, cool. good to re- it's good to reflect on that. Right. And, and more than anything too, we can't thank our listeners enough. I mean, without you guys, we would not be where we are now. We wouldn't have obviously any listener questions, but we wouldn't have that extra fuel Man, when we get these emails in and folks are talking about how they've changed their lives for the better, it is just so inspiring. It spurs us on when we're kind of feeling like, you know, are we really going to do another recording? Are we going to really record this week? I'll be honest. There's times, there's some weeks where we're feeling great, but then there's other weeks too where we are doing it because we've got this thing rolling and we don't want to let our listeners down. And so I think our listeners are such a crucial and integral part to this show specifically. It's not like we're just kind of recording ourselves, cracking jokes, even though maybe at the beginning we kind of started out that way where it's just you, <laughs> you and I kind of bantering on about random stuff. Quickly, our attention is focused to our listeners and the changes that they're making in their financial lives. Well, they've helped us hone the show too. They've helped make this show better because I think we have changed direction. We've kind of changed what the show looks like a little bit. It still remains, in essence, the show that we started out creating. But when it comes down to the specifics of how the show actually functions and how it sounds, I think that's changed a good bit. And that's because of listener feedback. And so we've taken it seriously. It's meaningful. And we talk about that at the end of every episode, like drop us a line. (laughs) We actually read it. We care. And it's true. Like we've changed the, the formatting of the show and the way we do it because we want it to be more accessible. We want it to be something that is meaningful, not just for us to create, but for listeners out there to, to listen to. Yeah, we want it to be impactful. And so this is episode 100. And I actually just thought of how... So on our van, Joel, we just rolled over. You want to guess? Uh, 100,000 100, miles. miles. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Nice, nice. We, we rolled over 100,000 miles the other day. And sort of like this show... When you have a car that's hitting 100,000 miles, you and I know that you're just getting started, right? Oh, completely, yeah. <laughs> that thing's got a long way to run. Exactly. You've got a lot of runway left. And so that's not the time to, to pull the plug or to start looking for a new car. That's usually when I'm buying a car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at 100, you know, I was actually super pumped because that's not something you get to do every day. You know, see it go from five digits to six digits. Again, I don't know. I'm not trying to make some crazy metaphor here. But in the same way, I think we're kind of just getting started with this show, man. It's been a blast so far. And yeah, I'm looking forward to what else How to Money has in store. Yeah, man, totally. And you know what else? We've got a beer in store that we're about to partake in <laughs> on this episode. Uh, and this I'm one, also very thankful for the, the beers that our listeners send in to you. Uh, yeah, that's another, actually a ton of fun. Amazing perk of having the best yeah, listeners. Sweet is perk. Fantastic beers. And Russ sent us this beer. We had another beer on the show last week that he sent us. This one's called Ninja vs. Unicorn. It's a double IPA, also from Pipeworks Brewing Company in Chicago. Follow us on Instagram, by the way, if you want to see the can art for the beers that we're drinking every week. Yeah, this it, one's pretty ridiculous. This <laughs> one's insane. Yeah, it's a, literally a ninja and a unicorn fighting. The colors, the graphic is, are pretty intense. And uh, let's see if the beer is just as intense, Matthew. I'll let you know at the end of this episode, man. But first, we want to let listeners know that they can submit their own questions at howtomoney.com forward slash ask. So Joel, why don't you go ahead and play our first question for this episode? Hey, guys. My name is Tila from Washington State. I absolutely love your show. Thank you for the information you've been putting out there. I just finished your Roth IRA podcast and it left me with a two-part question. 
In the next couple of months, I plan on opening a Roth IRA and farther along investing in index funds. In your podcast, you mentioned that you can put your index funds into your Roth IRA. So the first part of my question is what does that mean exactly and how can you go about doing that? The second part of my question is are there any downsides of not putting an index fund in your Roth IRA? Thanks so much and I already can't wait for your next show. Tila, that is such a great question. You know, I think at times these topics uh, get a little nerdy, get a little technical. And so I think it is helpful for us to be able to take a step back and kind of explain things in a way that's easy to comprehend. And so putting index funds in a Roth IRA, well, that's something, Matt, we're huge fans of investing in index funds inside of your Roth. But I realize even just saying that, even just those words, (laughs) to some people, it falls short of being an understandable explanation. Yeah, Joel, exactly. Like those are still not regular everyday words. And so let's start first with an analogy. A good way, I think, to look at your Roth IRA is to think of it like an aquarium, right? So your Roth IRA, like that account, it's an aquarium. Not a terrarium? Not a terrarium. Okay. Aqua. Aquarium. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's filled with water. And what you could do, though, you could take your money, right? And you could drop it straight into that aquarium and it would sink to the bottom. And that would be kind of silly. Or you could take that money and you could buy fish with it. And those fish will grow and they'll swim around within the aquarium. And you know what? That's what the aquarium is made to hold. Just make sure you get the fish that can live in (laughs) harmony together and not the ones that eat each other. Yeah, don't get paid a fish. (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm saying though is that the aquarium, it's meant to hold fish. And like that's what it was designed for. And on the flip side of that, like the fish are going to be happy in that aquarium, right? Like it's not like you're trying to grow and have your fish survive, say in a sink. <laughs> They're not going to be happy in a, in a sink, right? Where there's no fake plants or the, the scuba man that kind of floats around in there. And so I think that's maybe the extent of like that, that analogy. But essentially though, like that's what a Roth IRA is meant to do. So you can put cash directly into your Roth IRA account and leave it there and not invest it. But that's not what you want to do with that money. That money is going to be better spent put into index funds. And since we're taking a step back, let's talk about index funds. Let's talk about what index funds are. And they're Matt and I's preferred way to invest because ultimately they're the simplest. They're the easiest to understand and they achieve all the things that we really want to achieve when it comes to investing. They make sure that your money is well diversified and that your money is invested at an incredibly low cost. Index funds are just the best at achieving both of those things. And so Matt, to continue with your aquarium example, which was lovely, by the way. Did you like that? Yeah, nicely done. (laughs) Never heard it quite put like that. So thank you. Uh, (laughs) So basically, you're putting these fish in the aquarium, right? And when you open up a Roth IRA, Tila, there are just a bunch of different funds that you can choose from. Just like there are a bunch of different fish at the pet store that you can put in your aquarium. But our favorites are index funds. That's our favorite fish. That's our favorite fish. (laughs) That's what we would put in the aquarium. And the reason that index funds are such a favorite for us is that they achieve the main two goals that we think are important when it comes to investing. And that is wide diversification and low fees. It's also just really, really simple. Yeah, Joel, you know, I think that's the biggest sort of hang up that folks have with Roth IRA accounts is that they seem like they're maybe more complicated than they really are. All brokerages are different, but a lot of times your Roth IRA account, like once you open that, it doesn't look that different than an online savings account, uh, except that within that account, you can purchase things. So literally there's a buy button or a purchase button. It's like this one extra step exactly. that you have to take yeah. that you don't have to take when you're opening up a savings account. Exactly. Because again, you can have it there as cash, but you don't want it sitting there as cash because due to inflation, you're essentially losing money if you don't invest that money. And so these are the literal steps. You open an account, you fund that account and you transfer over that money 
And then you actually click that buy, or you click that purchase button and you purchase those low cost index funds. You can start searching. One of our favorites is VTSAX, which is Vanguard's total stock market index fund. And, and that's it. It's really not any more complicated than that. But again, depending on what brokerage you go with, you know, we recommend M1 is our new favorite, but Vanguard, Fidelity, both of those are going to have accounts that are basically free and very easy to use. But I think that you'll find once you kind of take those steps and dive into it, it's really less complicated than it might sound. And Tila, yeah, you also asked about the downsides, the potential downsides. Well, the downsides, I guess, are that you could choose other funds, likely more expensive funds, not index funds, right? You could choose mutual funds that invest in different sectors of the stock market. You can invest in really high cost mutual funds or not well diversified mutual funds. Those are potential pitfalls when you're choosing funds to invest in inside of your Roth. You might even choose to invest in individual stocks instead. Well, those are big time downsides if you're choosing to invest in those ways, as opposed to investing in index funds inside of your Roth IRA. And I think it's important to say that there are a lot of really smart investors that create investment portfolios that are a little more complex. But for the majority of people, the majority of investors, especially for someone just getting started and asking questions like this, Tila, I think index funds are just the slam dunk best decision because it makes your decision really simple. And it's the easy button to getting to where you want to go. And Tila, maybe another option that you're asking in your question is that you have the potential to invest in index funds outside of a Roth in a regular brokerage account. Certainly you could do that. But if you do have a Roth as an option to invest in, I mean, that's going to be a much wiser decision for you when it comes to the tax implications. And so, you know, I don't want to extend this too far, but hearkening back to the aquarium metaphor, in my mind, the Roth IRA is the aquarium. It's like the perfect place to have some great fish. If you're trying to have a bunch of fish, say, in your kitchen sink, that's less ideal. It just doesn't nearly make quite as much sense if you already have an aquarium that's available to you. Yeah. If you meet the income qualifications for investing in a Roth, open a Roth. Don't open a taxable brokerage account, right? All right. So Tila, good luck to you opening this Roth and starting to invest in index funds. I promise you when you look back 30 years from now, you'll be really glad that you did. And by the way, Matt wrote a really sweet article about M1 Finance and kind of why it's become one of our favorite investing platforms. That's on our site at howtomoney.com and we'll link to it in the show notes as well. And after the break, we're going to get to a couple questions about investing in real estate online and the value of home warranties. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. 
It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out cachava. Just go to cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm-hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back from the break. Let's get to our second question for this episode. Hey, guys, I'm Dijon from Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, first things first, I love the show. Keep up the good work. My question is about... REITs or R-E-I-T's. I've been looking into doing this and uh, more specifically Fundrise.com. I just want to get your uh, what you think about Fundrise.com and R-E-I-T's in general. I'm, I'm looking to get into the real estate of owning, you know, renting, being a landlord. And I feel like this will be a good first step. Do you guys think that that is a good first step or should I just go the other route of, you know, saving for a down payment, buying my first property and then becoming a landlord that way? Thank you very much, guys. Can't wait to hear it. All right, Dijon, that's such a great question. And Matt, we love talking about real estate. So let's get into this one. First off, our primary focus when it comes to investing in real estate is buying physical property that you hold for the long term that's close to where you are. 
But we realize that, like you said, Dijon, that there is a high barrier to entry there. It's not always possible for everyone. So I think that's why a lot of people are interested in online real estate investing, which has taken off in the past few years. A lot of people in our Facebook group, Matt, have been asking questions about Fundrise in particular and some of these other online real estate investing platforms. So I think it's about time we talked about it. That's right, man. Let's dive in. So let's talk about REITs. And you know, he mentioned what that stands for, but that's Real Estate Investment Trusts. And broadly speaking, investing in REITs allows you to buy small shares of a company, and they are the ones who are actively purchasing and managing real estate. We have access to publicly traded REITs, and we're able to buy and sell those like regular stocks. I'm thinking of American Tower is an example of that. AMT is their ticker symbol. But we wouldn't really recommend that because that is an individual company. You know, we just talked about index funds in our last question. Even better would be to check out Vanguard's real estate fund. Uh, its ticker symbol is VNQ. It is much better because it is more incredibly diversified. You could, right, have AMT in your portfolio. But if you get a fund like VNQ, well, guess what's included in VNQ? American Tower, AMT. And so that's a company that specifically invests, again, in real estate. So that is a traditional REIT that's publicly traded, which means that, Matt, we can buy and sell that at will, right? Like I can own VNQ today, sell it tomorrow. That's right. Open market. You can buy it and unload it whenever you want. So let's, in contrast, talk about Fundrise, which is probably the most popular platform online for investing in real estate. Yeah. It's like Kleenex versus tissues, right? It's the name brand. Yeah. And honestly, for good reason, because they've done a really, really good job. They are probably the best online platform for investing in real estate, at least that I know of. With Fundrise, you're investing in privately traded REITs though, as opposed to investing in a REIT through Vanguard. Investing through Fundrise means that you're investing really in a non-liquid way. You can't get in and out of that investment like you can with a traditional publicly traded real estate investment trust fund. Yeah. And the reason for that is when you are invested with Fundrise, like your money is actually tied up in literal real estate, right? like yeah. literal deals. It's in the deal. They're making it happen. They're, they're doing the construction. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why it's extremely difficult to pull your money out. And sometimes they break it up quarterly. We're not going to go into the details, but with a publicly traded REIT, it's sort of like one layer higher. You're investing in a company and they're the ones doing the investing. With Fundrise, your hands are a little more in the dirt. Like it, it is a little more active in the sense that your money feels like it's more directly invested in real estate. But like you said, Joel, like with that comes the downsides of your money being tied up. Yeah. So that is one thing you need to take into consideration. Are you okay with your capital being tied up for an extended period of time? Another thing to take into consideration is the fees. And Fundrise charges one of the lowest fees out there for investing in real estate online. They charge just a 1% fee to manage that money. But there are sometimes other transaction costs involved in the process that can be a little bit harder to see. And so it's just important to note that the fees are going to be higher when you invest in real estate online through a site like Fundrise, as opposed to, like we mentioned, investing in a traditional publicly traded real estate investment trust. Yeah, Joe. Personally, like 1% kind of sounds a lot when Vanguard's real estate fund, their expense ratio is 0.12%. Crazy small. Obviously, that's the advantage of going with a company like Vanguard, something that feels more like an index fund. However, the reason for that is there is the potential for greater reward, right? There's more risk involved uh, when it comes to investing in a company like Fundrise, but there's also the potential for greater returns. Right now, Fundrise is touting double-digit returns 
But what's important to mention here, though, is that those returns have not been tested during a downturn in the real estate market. Yeah, I know we've actually had people in our Facebook group that have mentioned their specific returns investing in Fundrise, and they've been They're really pretty fat, good. Right? Yeah, they've been <laughs> really, really good over a two or three or four year period. I feel like we've seen people having a lot of success investing their money in Fundrise. We just want to paint a complete picture for you. And one of those important things to note is that Fundrise has only been around for a handful of years. And so we haven't actually seen how people's portfolios perform who've invested their money through Fundrise through a real estate downturn. So that's just important to mention. And then John, your next question was about whether or not this would be a good first step when it came to kind of getting your feet wet uh, in real estate. And so what I would say is that you know REITs in general and then Fundrise specifically too, it's good for diversification of your portfolio. However, I do not think it's good though uh, as a way to try out landlording or managing properties because you're not. Essentially, it's no different than investing in the stock market. It might feel like you're kind of getting more involved with real estate because these are real estate funds. But in reality, you know, you're not the owner. You're not managing the property. So you're not showing the property. You're not screening tenants. You're not the one getting the calls or the text saying that the toilet's broken or you know whatever problems there might be. It's not a good way necessarily to get a feel for what's involved from a lifestyle standpoint when you own and manage real estate. Yeah. And it's important also to note that real estate should not be a huge percentage of your portfolio. I love the idea of just waiting and continuing to save up to buy that first house, like you mentioned, as a potential possibility. Mom and pop landlording has just so many specific benefits that Matt and I think are valuable. But whatever you do when it comes to real estate investing, just make sure that it's a reasonable percentage of your overall portfolio. Don't overcommit your investing dollars specifically to real estate investing. You want to be well diversified. And that means that a large part of your investing dollars should be going towards investing in the American and worldwide economy as a whole. Yeah. And so assuming you're doing that, uh, Dijon, and even if you do want to invest some of your money in REITs or uh, through e-REITs, which is Fundrise's coined term for you know what they offer, make sure that you're still learning and kind of gaining the knowledge of what it takes to be a landlord or a manager of properties through other means. You can look to local real estate investment meetup groups. I mean, that's going to be an incredible way to meet other folks who are in the game. You know, they've got their hands dirty. They're the ones making the phone calls. They're the ones showing properties, doing all that kind of stuff. That's just a fantastic way for you to get a feel for what we call the mom and pop real estate investing, which it sounds like what you're interested in. No doubt. All right, Dijon, good luck to you. And Matt, we're just talking about investing in homes. Well, what about home warranties? Let's get to that. Hey there, Joel and Matt. This is Farheen from Baltimore. My husband and I recently purchased our first home um, and our realtor recommends that we get something called a home warranty. What is your take on that? And how is that different from home insurance? Thanks, you guys. Love listening to the podcast. Keep it up. Fraheen, congrats on the first home. Uh, it's always an exciting time. There's a lot to learn, a lot of decisions that you're making. So hopefully uh, our answer here will help you along that path. Obviously, you have to have home insurance. It's required by your lender. However, warranties are optional. Uh, and they're sold saying that they cover things that your homeowner's insurance doesn't cover. These are things as simple as a broken dishwasher, busted furnace, things like that. Yeah. And home warranties, man, they sound so good, right? Like it sounds so nice to have this peace of mind for 500 bucks that if anything goes wrong, it's all fixed. Yeah. Sweet little catch all, right? Right. That's how it sounds. <laughs> but home warranty companies are notorious for being difficult to work with and avoiding payout of claims. They're often hoops to jump through. And most of the time, 
I would say they are not worth the price. Home warranty companies get lots of complaints on the Better Business Bureau, and that's because the fine print often doesn't reflect what's promised on the front end. So basically, we just don't really recommend home warranties. However, if you are looking at getting one still, you want to be sure that you know what's covered. Just make sure that you read the fine print if you do decide to go with one. Because for instance, you may only get a depreciated value of a system if that system needs to be replaced. There's also potential total payout limits. It just depends on the specific home warranty that you go with. So really the responsibility falls to you as a homeowner to be aware of what you're getting. Yeah, there's also deductibles that you need to pay and meet every time someone comes out to take a look at a potential issue, let's say with your HVAC system or your dishwasher. And if you really are only getting depreciated value on an item like a dishwasher or an HVAC, well, you're going to feel pretty cheated, I think, by having spent the money on that home warranty. And like Matt mentioned, potential total payout limits on some of these policies are just a couple thousand dollars. So if you're spending $500 to get a max potential benefit of $2,000, that just doesn't feel like a good place to put your money. Yeah, that's just not a good deal. Right. Yeah. So the best thing to do instead is to put that money that you would have put towards a home warranty in a savings account that's dedicated towards paying for repairs, potential new appliances, any repairs that pop up that you have to do to your house. And for you, Farheen, and other people out there that are new homeowners or thinking about becoming homeowners, it's a, a really good rule of thumb for what repairs will cost annually for your home is 1% of the purchase price. So if you bought a $200,000 home, well, just make sure to set aside roughly $2,000 a year towards home repair expenses. So Joel, the reason I think that home warranties get pushed oftentimes, I think, is because of realtors. I think a lot of times they're suggested because the last thing that a realtor wants if they are selling a home to their client is they don't want them to move in and then all of a sudden stuff starts breaking and it leaves like a sour taste in their mouth and they're not excited about their home. Like that's the last thing that a realtor would want. And so a lot of times you might see a home warranty being sort of worked into the negotiations when it comes to closing on a home. And if you can get the seller to pay for a home warranty, I don't see anything wrong with that. However, that's not something I would actively seek out. Instead, make sure that you're talking to your realtor about getting a really experienced home inspector. They may not be the cheapest, but make sure it's one that your realtor has worked with before uh, who is very adept and very good at finding all the issues with your house, including any systems like HVAC, any issues with a roof, just those things that could help you during the negotiating process. Yeah, I think home warranties ultimately are typically sold as a peace of mind sort of purchase that puts a homeowner's mind at ease that this $500 covers me in case anything major happens. Well, the problem is that that peace of mind doesn't last very long when the problem actually arises because the home warranties almost never follow through like you expect them to. So be very careful before you purchase a home warranty. Make sure, like we said, you read the fine print and you know what you're getting into because there are just a lot of potential pitfalls in purchasing a product like this. So Farheen, hopefully you found uh, some of that advice helpful. All right, Joel, we have a couple more questions, including one, a really fun one about a really dope electric truck, man. Looking forward to tackling that one here in a minute. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. 
So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop Mm -hmm. they were fresh out of the oven they had that perfectly flaky crust but guess what that serendipitous experience would never had happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel we had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town thanks to airbnb ah matt i'm still dreaming about those meat pies you're making my (laughs) you're making me drool and while turning to airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All 
right, we're back. Matt, you know I like electric vehicles, and I'm really excited to tackle that electric truck question. But first, let's take a question about paying off a debt that is in collections. Hi, Matt and Joel. This is David. I have a question about collections. Is it better to pay them off or let them sit for seven years until they drop off your uh, credit? Um, Just wondering because I've gotten different feedback. Some say that if you pay them off, it's not really going to boost your credit score any because it still takes that seven years to drop off your credit. Just uh, wondering. Uh, Thank you. Hey, David. Thanks for that question. And man, I'm sorry that you're dealing with collectors. That kind of sucks to be in that position. But hopefully we can help out. The fact is, uh, when it comes to paying off your debt, it's hard to know the actual effects that that'll have on your credit score because it depends on so many different things. It depends on the agency that you're getting your score from or you know what scoring model they're using. Sometimes certain agencies will dismiss a bad mark if you pay it off. Sometimes certain debts aren't looked upon nearly as negatively as others. Medical debt, for instance. Uh, sometimes the medical debt doesn't nearly affect your credit score uh, quite as bad as consumer credit card debt. But regardless, what's best though is to go ahead and pay debts that you've agreed to even if they are past due, right? Just because you might be able to legally avoid payment doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, Matt, I completely agree. Part of this is a moral issue, right? And I think it is important to say that when you have taken a debt out, it is, I believe, a moral obligation to repay that debt. So there are other factors that become involved and we'll get into those, but I wanted to make sure we mention that. So now let's go over how to pay a debt that ends up in collections. Well, first you wanna send a debt verification letter to the creditor to get proof that that debt is yours. Yeah, Joel, you know, by the time a debt goes to collections, it's you know, long gone left the original creditor and oftentimes that new collection agency, like they don't have proof And sometimes it's gone from one collection agency to another. Sometimes they only hang on to them for like six months or so. And so what that means is sometimes there can be errors and you might think you owe that debt, but it's definitely worth checking to make sure that that is actually your debt. Yes, for sure. All right. So the best case scenario when you're trying to figure out how to pay a debt that has gone into collections is to work out a settlement payment and to have that account deleted fully from your credit history. And so basically you're negotiating with this debt collector to make sure that this happens. And you need to make sure that you have all of this in writing before you actually pay the amount that you've agreed upon. Basically this collection agency has no obligation to completely wipe this debt away from your credit history, but you can negotiate that in some instances. And that is the best case scenario you could hope for. So again, ask to have the account deleted from your credit history and make sure to have it in writing before you make the payment. Now, the next best option for you uh, is that if your creditor won't do this, you want to try to negotiate a settlement, but then ask them to report it as paid in full. This isn't nearly as good as having it deleted because, you know, when it's deleted, it's like it didn't even exist. If it's marked as paid in full, It definitely looks better than if you didn't and your credit score will improve. We can't say how much, but it'll definitely help. And we're using the word settlement here. And that means basically offering a certain amount less than what you actually owe. And that is definitely possible when you're negotiating with a collection agency to to pay less than what you actually owe. 
it's best to start off offering somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30% of what you actually owe them. And if you're willing to pay a lump sum in order to settle the debt, oftentimes a collection agency is willing to take that offer. But so much of how it impacts your credit is contingent on how that payment is reported to the credit bureaus. And so that's why having that account deleted is the best scenario, paid in full is the next best. And so basically in third place is settling the debt and having it reported on your credit as a settled debt. It's not the best case scenario because it looks like you didn't pay the full amount of debt that you owed, but at least it looks like some sort of resolution on your credit. And that is at least somewhat of a good thing. And Joel, I want to come back to like having that written record, right? And so once you pay, like once you've reached that settlement, that agreed upon amount, you want to make sure that you keep proof of that payment because the fact is, if you don't have proof of that payment, and if you don't have that in writing, that that's what they have agreed to do, all that they do have in writing is that you owe X amount of money that you haven't paid yet. And don't be tricked by just someone saying something over the phone. Yes. Like we promise this is what's going to happen. No, 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 no. You want it in writing. You got to see it. And then after you make that payment, it's also good to check your credit report to make sure that it has updated properly. Oftentimes, those reports get updated once a month. And so it can take 30 to 45 days before you see that reflected accordingly. Basically, a debt in collections is going to negatively impact your credit score for seven years. And if you're just a couple years into owing this debt, it's going to plague you for years and years to come. So the best hope you have is to settle something under the best terms possible for you. So make sure to be kind, but persistent when you're negotiating with the collection agency and only agree to a resolution that works well for you financially and also positively impacts your credit score at the same time. All right, Joel, it is time for our fifth and final question. Uh, let's hear from Will. He's got a question about electric vehicles. One of your favorite topics. Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Will from Modesto, California. I'm a union carpenter and I work in San Francisco and the surrounding area. I never really stay long at one location and my commute average is about 60 to 90 miles depending on where they send me one way. So like give or take 160 miles a day. That's kind of a lot. There's a company called Rivian that is coming out with an electric truck in the near future. Gets about 400 miles of charge, has lots of storage areas, plus kind of like Tesla features. The price is kind of a little steep for me at 65000 Would this hypothetically even make any sense for someone like me to get since I need a truck for work, commute a lot? Thanks, guys. Look forward to your answer. Oh, my gosh, Matt. You're right. I do love electric vehicles. I'm a little biased. We'll just buy the truck already, okay? I, I like it. Do it. Make it happen. Well, this truck in particular, the Rivian, have you actually seen pictures of this or kind of seen it in motion? Yeah, it looks incredible. Yeah, a very appealing vehicle. And Will, I understand your conundrum. And I got to be honest, trucks have gotten really, really expensive over the last few years. The Rivian does not seem insanely priced when we're talking about brand new trucks. Like it is expensive. Yes, it is probably going to be a sixty-five dollars or $70,000 vehicle. But even just regular gas engine trucks, like a nice Ford F-150 or something like that, man, they can get kind of close to those numbers. Yeah, obviously brand new, and that's not necessarily what we would recommend. Yeah, true. Yeah. How, <laughs> however, you know, it's, it's worth considering. But so, Will, specifically, you, you mentioned that you're driving around 160 miles a day, and that is a ton of driving. 
Really, this might end up being a, a tricky question, but luckily we can kind of employ some math and that should hopefully help us to help you make a good decision. Matt, math is not my strong suit, uh, <laughs> but, but I think the basic calculations are easy enough that we can make this happen, right? Yeah, totally. And one of the things this made me think of was a recent uh, episode that we did about the best cars for frugal folks. And we mentioned in that episode that the Tesla Model 3 might actually be cheaper to own over three years than a Toyota Camry. That's because there's so much less to pay in fuel and a Tesla Model 3 depreciates so much less than a Toyota Camry. That's something to kind of keep in mind as we discuss this is that the total cost of ownership is what we're looking at. We're not just looking at the fuel cost. We're not just looking at the, the sticker price. We're looking at that total cost of ownership over a handful of years. And that's going to be the right framework to kind of help us arrive at the right answer for this, I think. That's true, Joel. My biggest sticking point, though, is that it is, man, so tough to be the first one to get this truck, right? Like it's tough to be the guinea pig buying the first vehicle that a car manufacturer makes. I'm thinking about like the first versions of the Tesla Roadster when it first came out. Man, that thing was riddled with issues. Like even Elon Musk himself, he quoted how like they just had so many issues and how that first car was essentially a disaster. But that being said, the Tesla was essentially the first of its kind. And now that they sort of paved the way a little bit, I think Rivian, like they might have much smoother sailing. Uh, the fact that Amazon, I don't know if you saw, they, they invested $700 million into Rivian. That's the vote of confidence that I like to see. Yeah, most definitely. I agree with you, though, about being the guinea pig on the first model. That's you know, a little nerve wracking. Uh, but let's get into the specific math. So, Will, let's say you do actually drive 160 miles a day at an average of 20 miles to the gallon and $3.63 a gallon. And that's how much gas actually costs in Modesto, California right now. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So we have the specific figures and gas fluctuates. It can be even more expensive than that in California at times, right? But that would be an estimated fuel cost of $30 a day, which let's say you're working 20 days a month. That's roughly $600 a month in fuel costs. Based on the uh, national average for electricity costs, the cost to charge an electric vehicle to take you that same amount of distance would be about $140 a month. So you would save roughly $450 a month in fuel costs alone. I think it's important to note that Will's scenario is pretty rare. <laughs> you know, most people are not going to save that much money every month by going electric. Will also lives in California, which is one of the highest cost markets for gasoline. So it's important to note that these circumstances are probably not applicable to most people thinking about an electric car purchase. That's right. But for Will specifically, he's looking at saving over $5,000 a year. Again, and this is in fuel costs alone. This doesn't take into account the regular oil changes and just all the other fluids that need to be changed. You know, if you're looking at keeping this truck 10 years or longer, this is not a bad idea. This is, of course, assuming that you, you know, pay for the truck uh, in cash. We don't want you to have truck payments. And well, this doesn't even take into account what you mentioned as far as uh, the Tesla-like features, which I'm assuming you mean self-driving features. If you're able to salvage a couple hours every single day that you could reclaim and potentially do other work that you wouldn't be able to do because you were driving, I've got to think that there's some sort of admin work uh, that you would have to do you know, when you're not out in the field doing literal carpentry that you would be able to do in a vehicle. Man, for me, that would be a huge selling point that every day there's time I'm able to essentially harvest and put to use so that when I get back home, I'm not having to spend additional time doing my job. Man, for me, that you know, reclaiming that time, that's a huge selling point. Yeah. And not to mention just the fun factor, honestly, of driving a truck like this. Yeah. Sexy new truck. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> not just even how cool it looks, which that's for sure, right? It's a really cool looking truck, but it's so much fun to drive. Like when I got my Nissan Leaf, the driving experience was just so much more fun than when I had my old school Altima. I don't really put a high premium on that. I wouldn't typically be willing to pay a whole lot more if the numbers hadn't worked out for my Leaf. I wouldn't have done it. I just would have stuck with my Altima. But that is a, kind of one of those intangibles that's nice to at least think about. One thing I would mention to Will, I think is really important, check with your insurance company to see how much more it might cost to insure a brand new truck like this. There could be a substantial difference there. That could be kind of the make or break item right there that tips the scales in favor of either buying the truck or not. If the difference in insurance costs is negligible and you're willing to keep this truck for you know eight to 10 years, man, I think this could actually be a really smart move for you. And you'll probably get a lot more enjoyment out of it over the years as well. The perfect scenario would be that you could purchase one of these a few years old after you know the bugs have worked out and maybe the depreciation has kicked in a little bit. However, that's not really applicable uh, for you in this situation. This is an electric vehicle. We talked about how the Tesla, they hold their value. They don't depreciate nearly as much because there is such a high demand because you would not be the only person looking to buy a used Rivian. And so I just wanted to mention that to all the folks out there who might be wondering, like, why aren't they recommending the five-year-old version of the Rivian? Well, you know, it doesn't quite exist yet. Someday it will. The software will be updated. The bugs will be worked out and it will be a little more affordable. But in the meantime, Will can expect to continue to pay about 600 bucks a month just towards gasoline alone. Will, ultimately, man, this is a fun question to toss over, especially with my love of electric vehicles. I mean, it's I, fun, but it's a hard decision, though. It is. Like, know? I don't know that I can say yes or no. And I think ultimately some of those intangibles like the insurance cost could come into play here. But really, I mean, for someone who drives that much in a market where gasoline is so expensive, buying a ridiculously expensive electric truck, that's not the craziest thing I've heard today. That's for sure. But Will, the real question for you, though, is uh, what podcast do you recommend? Because I got to think with that much time on the road, you must be listening to a ton of podcasts, maybe audiobooks. Hit us up. Let us know what you're listening to other than our show, How to Money. <laughs> but Joel, you want to take it back to the beer? Yeah, man. So today on the show, we had Ninja vs. Unicorn. It's a double IPA by Pipeworks Brewing Company. And our listener, Russ, sent this one our way. Thanks again, Russ. This beer in particular had floral hop notes and a nice bitter back end. I thought this beer was almost as awesome as the can art itself. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was very reflective of the can art. Like it's like this battle going on, right? I felt like it was, there was sort of a hop assault going on in my mouth. But with that, like you said, Joel, it has a lot of uh, hop florals going on uh, and I enjoyed it tremendously. Yeah, always a treat to enjoy beers from cities that we can't get beer from. So that's cool. Thanks again, Russ. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for this episode, episode 100 of the How to Money podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you want show notes for this episode, you can check out our website at howtomoney.com. Yeah, man, that's right. Episode 100. You know, it's good to celebrate these small wins kind of along the way. And you know what? If you want to celebrate this win, the small win with us, we would love for you to leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. So Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, man. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.
Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.